Um, but I believe today, today's message certainly want to honor and focus in on the influence of a grandparent. But as you will see throughout today's service, uh, this is a message not just for grandparents, but this is a message for everyone who says yes to Jesus. And I believe you will be encouraged this morning. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, it's also up on the screen beginning in verse number 1, or excuse me, verse number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, and I long to see you again. For I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Verse 5 is what I want us to focus in on just for a few moments this morning. It says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed, verse eight, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord and don't be ashamed of me either though I am in prison for him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the opportunity that we have to focus our attention just for a few moments around the living, powerful, transforming word of God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which comes from you this morning. Help me to declare your word with boldness, with simplicity, with clarity. And God, I pray that you would help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. How many, of you, how many of you guys have played before the game Telephone? Um, the game Telephone is, is a game where basically you have a bunch of people lined up and you pass on some phrase from one person to the next. And the objective, we're not going to play it today for the sake of time, but the objective, the objective is to make certain that whatever phrase you start with you end with. Now, I would say if you, if you need some ideas for a great fun activity for family gatherings, that one is great because you start off with this beautiful phrase and you pass it down into your child's ear or your grandchild's ear and you get all the way down to the end. I will promise you it will not be the same phrase and it will bring joy to your heart. And uh, so that's one of the games. I love to play telephone. It certainly is a challenging game. Um, let me just say a few things about grandparents. Um, there's a few quotes that I came across just to maybe honor you grandparents this morning. Um, one person said this about grandparents. On the seventh day, God rested. His grandchildren must have been out of town. <laughs> Another one, um, somebody said this. If mom says no, ask grandma. And if grandma says no, who are we kidding? Grandma never says no, all right? Um, and I think some of you grandparents, if I were to ask you this morning, you love being a grandparent because you can spoil the kids, you can enjoy time with them, and then you send them back to the parents. How many? 
There we go. I knew that one. I knew that one would get a get a response this morning. Let me let me just say this when we think about the game telephone. If we aren't intentional about passing on a message, sometimes that message will get lost or even get misinterpreted. We see that when we play the game of telephone. If you start with a message and, and you're not intentional about passing it down from one person to the next, how easy it is for that message to get lost in the communication. But when communication is done with intentionality, the message can clearly and simply be passed from one person to the next. If we are intentional about the message that we want our children and our grandchildren and our families to hear, if we are intentional and purposeful about it, then that message can be passed on with clarity. And I wanna remind us, church, this morning, we have a valuable message that must be passed on. Paul refers to this most important message very simply as good news or the gospel. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through four. Listen to how Paul describes this message that we are called to pass on. He says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. And listen to what Paul says. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. And here is, if, if you ever wanna know a very simple definition of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, Paul gives it to us right here in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. So if anybody ever asks you, what is the gospel? What is the good news? You talk about good news. You, you throw out the word gospel. What are you talking about? Point them very simply to 1 Corinthians 15 and remind them that Christ died for our sins. He was buried, but he's not dead any longer. He is alive. That is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says it is the good news that saves those who believe. But here's the, here's the key, church. If we fail to pass on the message it will result in spiritual chaos. If we do not pass on the message of the good news of Jesus Christ to our children and our grandchildren, to those at our workplace, to those at our school, it will create spiritual chaos. We see that in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is this continual cycle of God's people um, rebelling against God and serving other gods and worshiping idols and, and God will hand them over to their enemies and they'll cry out for a savior and God will bring them a judge or a deliverer but they enter into that cycle again. And we read one of the saddest verses in all of scripture, I believe, is Judges chapter two, verse 10. It says that there was a new generation after Joshua died after Joshua died, they came into the land of Canaan. There was a new generation that grew up and they did not know God and they were not aware of the things that God had done. There was a failure to pass on the good news, what God had done, how he had rescued Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And if we fail to pass on this message, it will result in spiritual chaos. But when it is properly passed on, it will result in spiritual fruit. I think we see this inside our family structure. Today, we're celebrating Grandparents' Day. Grandparents, or even those that may resemble a grandparent figure, 
I wanna tell you this morning, you have an incredible influence, whether you know it and whether you want it. You have an incredible influence for your family. I think we see that in the story that I read as we opened up the service in, in, in Timothy, uh, Timothy's own life. Uh, Timothy was Paul's spiritual apprentice. How many of you in here are, are Star Wars fans? Any Star Wars fans? So, so when I talk about apprentice, you might think of Star Wars. You think of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker or Obi-Wan and Luke Skywalker. We think of, of this relationship of, of somebody who is doing the mentor uh, or doing the mentoring and somebody who is receiving that, the apprentice. And so Timothy was one of those guys. He was an apprentice of Paul. He was a mentee of Paul. Paul would pour into Timothy and he would instruct him and guide him. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. It says, I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. We know that Timothy was a leader and a young pastor in the Ephesian church. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those who are teaching contrary to the truth. We know that Timothy's faith, his genuine faith, it was deeply tied to the spiritual influence of his family, especially his mother and his grandmother. We read it in verse five. Look at what it says, 1 Timothy 1, verse five. I remember, Paul says, your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. We see that they had a strong spiritual heritage that was passed on from one generation to the next. How many want to have a strong spiritual heritage in your own family's life that you can pass on to your children and, and their children and to their children? The passing all the faith from grandmother to mother to son was instrumental in Timothy's life. Timothy was called into ministry and he was used for God and for the kingdom of God. We know that the influence of both a grandmother and a mother produced a son, Timothy, who was instrumental in the growth and the sustainability of the church. Now, I don't have time to give you all the details, but this reflects even my own relationship. I'm thankful for a heritage. I have a grandfather who, who has recently passed away but served the Lord faithfully. He loved Jesus, and he passed that on to my dad. And my dad passed it on to me. And I pray and hope that I'm passing that down to my children. There is that, that spiritual heritage, passing on what is most important. But folks, listen very carefully this morning. If we're gonna see families where there is a spiritual heritage of faith being passed down from one generation to the next, we have to be intentional. We have to be purposeful about it. Whether blood-related or not, we all have the ability to influence the next generation. Just like Lois, Eunice, and Timothy, or my grandfather, my father, and myself with my children. But to pass on a strong spiritual heritage to the next generation, there are a few certain Christ-like characteristics that we as parents, grandparents, and Christ followers must embrace and display this morning. So I want to just share four very simple things, and, and these will be brief. Four very simple things that I hope and pray you will hold on to. Um, not just one of these, I pray and hope you hold on to all of these, and when you leave here today, you will see that these are traits that I need to, we need to emulate if we are gonna pass on a spiritual heritage in our own family's life. Number one is this, we must be faithful students and connoisseurs of God's 
word. This is not rocket science. This is not some new idea. This is just what we as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to be about. We need to be faithful students of God's word. We need to study it. We need to read it. We need to memorize it, but we also need to be connoisseurs of God's word. Listen to what the psalmist said. Psalm chapter one, verse one says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates both day and night. He meditates on it. He, he consumes it. He's a connoisseur and a studier of the very word of God. The occasional reading of scripture, you know, occasionally opening up the pages of scripture or opening up a verse on the app is not enough. Scripture calls us to meditate on, to delight in the life-transforming word of God. Let me, I wanna illustrate this for you real briefly this morning. I know you may not all be able to see this, but you will understand uh, this concept this morning. When I talk about meditating on the word of God, I'm not talking about sitting around uh, a campfire singing Kumbaya with our legs crossed or you know, humming anything um, or humming nothing. I'm talking about something much different when it talks about meditation. It's not a weird thing. It's a biblical thing. We are called to meditate on scripture. So I want you to pretend down here this, this bowl of water represents, um, really, is, is our mind. And this tea bag here represents the intake of scripture. So if I, I think we all know that. How many of you like um, tea or hot tea? Any of you make that on a regular basis? Yes. Um, now, if I were to take this tea bag, again, pretend this bowl here represents our mind, and this represents our intake of Scripture. If I just do a simple, you know, dip in here, um, it's going to, you know, a little bit of the flavor. Um, that's, the water's cold now, so I'm not sure how effectively this will be. Um, but if, if I just do a single dip, how many know it's not going to taste very, you're pretty much just going to drink hot water, all right? And so when we talk about scripture, sometimes if we just do an occasional reading, it's just like dipping that tea bag in there maybe once. Um, now, if we read scripture, maybe we do it on a pretty regular basis. Um, maybe we, we study it. Maybe we memorize some scripture. It's, it's kind of like us, you know, dipping that tea bag in there, taking it out um, a little bit every once in a while, you know, giving it a swish around. You got a little spoon. You got some honey in there, you know, mixing it around. And, and you can see that the water starts to absorb some of the flavor um, of, the, of the tea. And it also starts to change color a little bit. All right, so if we, you know, when we think about scripture, when we think about reading it and, and studying it and, and memorizing it, it's like dipping the tea bag in this water and it slowly starts to absorb it. But when we talk about meditating, meditating on scripture is a lot different. That's when we, we give this tea bag the complete plunge and we let the water begin to absorb the flavor. And, and every aspect of this tea. And over time, I know for me, when I make tea, like uh, once the hot water boils and I pour it in there, I'll let it sit there for a few minutes before I even do anything to it. And then I'll start to stir it around. I want the flavor of that to taste well. But folks, when we talk about, and you will see the water is starting to change, when we talk about meditating on scripture, we're not talking about just the occasional reading. I'm talking more about just memorizing scripture. We need to allow that tea bag or, or, or the absorption of scripture to begin to fill our minds. Meditation is like the immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly 
turning a reddish brown. Meditation on scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain. Thus we might say that as the tea colors the water, meditation likewise colors our thinking. When we meditate on scripture, it colors our, th- colors our thinking about God, about God's ways in his world and about ourselves. If we do not meditate on scripture, then I am here to tell you that scripture will not shape our perspective or our mind, and we want it to because it is a revelation of who God is. So we need to be study, studiers and connoisseurs of God's word. My grandpa, one of the things that I loved about him I remember going over to his house often and he would be sitting uh, by his chair and he would have the Bible out and he would oftentimes be reading it and studying it. He was a Sunday school teacher. He absorbed and loved the word of God and I love to see that as I went in. Parents and grandparents, I would encourage you, our children, our grandchildren, yes, we need to go into the secret place. We need to have time alone with God but I also believe that our children and grandchildren need to see us opening up scripture, praying so they can model what they see in us as well. We need to be students and connoisseurs of God's word. Number two, we must be passionate prayer warriors and intercessors for the kingdom. Ephesians chapter six, verse 18, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. One of the greatest tools that we have at our disposal that can impact generations forever is prayer. There are some, and I know you know this, there are some people in life When you ask them to pray, you know that they will pray. My grandfather was one of those people. I can think of uh, a couple of John and Dorothy Parks at our Muncie campus. When we would ask them to pray, we know, we knew that they would pray. I don't always know how it works, but I know that the faithful prayers of my parents and my grandparents don't go unanswered. So when we pray and when we intercede for our children and our grandchildren, we are offering up prayers in a spiritual world that works by spiritual values, not worldly values. The ministry of intercession is simply joining, listen, is simply joining Jesus in the ministry that he has already started. Remember, Jesus is doing what? He sat down at the right hand of the Father and he is praying for us. So when we intercede, when we pray, what we're doing is we're joining Jesus in the ministry that he has already been doing as he sits at the right hand of the Father. So we get to join with him in that. The intercessory prayers of others my guess for many of you has likely resulted in you experiencing breakthrough. Maybe somebody has prayed for you and God has provided for you or maybe some other miraculous occurrence. I'm certain that Timothy's grandmother and his mother prayed for Timothy daily asking for God to work in their life. This is a ministry that we cannot ignore. Number three, we must have generous spirits and joyful hearts. We have something to be joyful about, don't we? Amen. We have something to be excited about. Kingdom generosity will result in kingdom growth. When we are generous with our time and our finances and our resources for the sake of the kingdom of God, I can promise you, again, I don't know how it works because it is, it's a kingdom thing, it's a divine thing, but I can promise you when we are generous with what God has given to us for the sake of the kingdom, it will produce great kingdom results. When we are generous and not stingy with our resources, God's kingdom is greatly impacted. Uh, I know, again, my grandfather was a generous generous guy, and that has been passed on from from one person to the next. And here's the reality, folks. When When we're generous and faithful when it comes to kingdom things, I know and I believe that many will hear the gospel for the first time as a result. Churches will be planted. 
Broken families will be restored. Communities will experience transformation and prodigals will return home. When we are generous and faithful with what God has given to us and we say, God, I wanna pour it back into your kingdom, God will take it, use it, he will multiply it. He did it with five loaves of bread and two fish. Um, They were trying to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. They weren't sure how they were gonna do it. And, And so they took what was given, they gave it all, God multiplied it and man, he did wonders with the very little that was given. Kingdom generosity reflects the very heart of God. Listen to what Paul says. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. I think we see it the greatest in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God was generous toward us, therefore we should reflect that same heart and be generous toward him. Let's embrace this spirit of generosity and let's watch God honor and bless not only us, but also bless his kingdom. And finally, number four, this is the last thing that I wanna share with you this morning, and this is probably the most important thing. If we are going to live a life where we can intentionally pass on to our children and our grandchildren a spiritual heritage where they love Jesus, I, there's nothing more that I want for my kids. I, I, I think it's great if they become you know, wonderful sports players or love the theater where there's nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing more that I want for my kids and my future grandchildren. I'll get to be there, I'll get to be there one day, but there's nothing more that I want for them than for them to love Jesus and to serve him faithfully. If they do nothing else, that is the most important thing. So here's how we do that, folks, parents, grandparents, families. We must be people of a single passion. Paul says this, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul lived his life with a single aim and a single passion. His desire was to know Christ. His desire was to serve Christ. He would be faithful to him no matter what it cost. If it cost him his life, he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. So for Paul, he was a man of a single passion and a single aim. And folks, if we wanna pass on to our children and our grandchildren a spiritual heritage to make certain that they know Christ, they love him and they serve him. We need to model that and we model that by being men and women, parents and grandparents of a single aim and a single passion and that passion must be Jesus Christ. I wanna ask the worship team to come if you would this morning. I know many of you are shocked that I'm already done. (laughs) Don't get used to it, all right? I also wanna be a truth-telling pastor, so I wanna hold to my word. I want you to listen, I wanna end with this story. I want you to listen in very closely. This is actually a a, a story I had the opportunity to share at my grandfather's funeral just a few months ago. And my grandfather, he was a man who loved the word of God. He was a fervent, passionate prayer warrior and intercessor. He was a generous man and a joyful man no matter what he was walking through. And as I look at my grandfather, I know with certainty he was a man of a single aim and single passion, and that was to know Christ. And I'm convinced that I'm standing here today because of his influence, because of his prayers, because of his passion, because of his desire to serve Jesus. If we wanna pass on a spiritual heritage to our children and grandchildren, we must live lives with a single passion, that's to know Christ. I wanna end with this story, and I actually shared this at his funeral 
because I believe this is appropriate for this message today. We must never downplay the influence one godly man or woman can have on generations when their single aim and passion in life is to serve God. Rich Stearns, the president of World Vision, calls it the domino theory of spiritual impact. Imagine a long line of dominoes. When one falls, it starts a chain reaction that can cause dozens or hundreds more dominoes to fall. For instance, Jesus set up 12 dominoes, his disciples. He mentored them, he empowered them with the Holy Spirit, and he sent them off to go and do likewise. Now there are over 2 billion followers of Christ in the world. It's a lot of dominoes. Stearns provides the following story about the spiritual impact that one person can have. In the 1880s, Robert Wilder, a missionary kid from India, was preparing to return to the mission field. During college, he even signed a pledge along with friends to become a missionary. But because he was so physically frail, he never fulfilled that pledge. Instead, he encouraged others to take up the task. One domino fell. During a preaching tour that took Robert through Chicago, he spoke to an audience that included Samuel Moffat, Samuel also signed Robert's pledge, and within two years, he landed in Korea. Another domino fell. A few years later, Samuel shared the gospel with a man who had become disillusioned with his Taoist practice. Kiel Shun Chu trusted Christ, and quickly another domino fell. In 1907, Kiel was one of the leaders of the Pyongyang Yang revival. In January of that year, spontaneous prayer and confession broke out during regular church meetings. Thousands of dominoes fell. Those days of fervent prayer are now considered the birth of an independent, self-sustaining Korean church. When Kiel died in 1935, 5,000 people attended his funeral. The church in Korea now numbers about 15 million, and it sends more foreign missionaries than any other country outside the United States. Millions of dominoes continue to fall. He concludes with this, as Christians, we are all dominoes in the chain reaction set off by Jesus 2,000 years ago. The amazing thing about dominoes falling is that the chain reaction always starts small with just one seemingly insignificant domino. Whether you're sponsoring children, filling backpacks for children, talking to your own children, or praying earnestly for people around the globe, you have no idea how big the impact will be as God multiplies your faithfulness. Dominoes will fall because of your faithful service to Christ and your amazing gospel influence.